Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And today we're revealing a few personal stories because we're talking about plays. And we have both been in plays. Um, mostly I just liked reading aloud in class, but occasionally I would get brave enough to be in one. And my shining moment was as Katie the cook and Meet Me in St. Louis in middle school in which I danced, I think, maybe, and sang in an apron. Katie the cook, was that <laughs> named after you? I'm hoping they didn't pick me just because of my name and more because they thought I was incredibly talented. But I was also in some sort of chorus in Oklahoma and as a kindergartner in Mary Poppins, where I got to wear pink jammies and my mom put lipstick on me, which was, you know, a huge deal. Definitely. Um, but I am most well known in my family for a preschool performance in which I got on stage with the rest of my class and then went and sat down on the edge of it with my head in my hands and refused to sing. We have photo evidence of my oh. grumpy little little three-year-old <laughs> face. <So sad. laughs> Do and you have a history on the stage, Sarah? Um, yeah, I guess I've been in a few plays. I Probably my biggest one came in elementary school. My class wrote a play called The Power Plan about power struggles on the playground. <laughs> and uh, I was the class president in the play. I had a solo. I had to stand on the stage all by myself and sing in front of the audience. It was oh. pretty scary, but kind of awesome, too. Not going to lie. Um, I guess, let's see, in high school, I was in Fumed Oak. That was a very violent play, so that was exciting. Power struggles and violence, yeah. the, the inner world of Sarah Dowdy. Yeah, probably the best part in that was... Um, there was supposed to be a violent confrontation about more ham for dinner. We were a little lax on our props, and so mm. we didn't bring a ham in. We brought a <laughs> bag of potato chips, and I was playing the wife. And so at one point, the guy who was playing my husband said, more potato chips for dinner, and throws them on the floor. <laughs> I prefer the ham. It's a legitimate complaint, I would say. You're a star. You're on top. Somebody bring you some ham, as we might say, <laughs> in 30 Rock. But... This is actually leading up to a point, believe us or not. Um, you know how you're never supposed to say good luck in a theater? You say um, break a leg or something. And Definitely. In belly dance, we do the same thing. We say break a hip or, as Sarah says, break a snake. But there are more theatrical superstitions than that. And one is that you never say Macbeth in the theater unless you're performing. Yeah, call it the Scottish play. And that is because there's some... Scary stuff attached to it. This is a Halloween episode, so you can guess where it's headed. Supposedly, there is a Macbeth curse. So to start it off, let's give you a little recap of the plot of Shakespeare's Macbeth. It is a bloody tragedy. It starts off with three weird sisters who tell Macbeth, a relative of the king, Duncan, that he himself will be king. They also tell another general, Banquo, that his sons and descendants will be kings, but he himself never will be. So Macbeth's wife, Lady Macbeth, vows to help him achieve this goal of ruling the kingdom by convincing him to kill King Duncan, his relative. And this is only the first of many murders in the play. Um, Macbeth is behind the murder of guards, uh, the Thane of Fife's, Macduff's family, and everyone in his castle. Lady Macbeth commits suicide. She's unable to wash the blood from her hands, and Macbeth is haunted by the ghost of Banquo. And the play ends with a battle in which Macduff 
kills Macbeth and Duncan's son Malcolm has the throne. This is worse than Lizzie Borden. Yeah, classic Sarah. Shakespeare tragedy. Everybody dead on the stage at the end of the play. But there was, in fact, a real Macbeth. Yeah, so Macbeth was an aristocrat in 11th century Scotland, and during this time, there wasn't primogenitor, like we think of most rulers today. You know, your your son becomes king, or some relative descendant becomes king after you die. There wasn't any firstborn inheriting. Instead, kings would pick their successors. And so you can imagine that would lead to a lot of strife, because it's not just the kid you ended up with, it's the rest Personal. of the noblemen, too. Yeah. So Macbeth's father was killed by Macbeth's cousins who wanted his throne. Later in life, Macbeth revenged his father by killing them and married one of their widows, Gruach, the real-life Lady Macbeth. And <laughs> we're not sure that name is, is going to make a comeback as a baby name, so we're requesting that a listener could perhaps name a pet after Gruach. You don't like Gruach Lambert? You know, I don't. <laughs> Really think that's going to work, perhaps, if I take my imaginary future husband's <laughs> last name, we can reconsider it. But Macbeth had a title, though it wasn't the Thane of Glamis, and the king, Malcolm II, uh, who was king at the time of Macbeth, decided to institute this rule of primogeniture and ended up choosing his nephew, Duncan. And the nobles were angered, as Scottish nobles always are in every single podcast we have ever done. Well, and, and part of this is, you know, maybe personal. Why didn't you pick me? But also Duncan just isn't much of a ruler. He's not very good in battle. He doesn't seem like he should be king. And so Macbeth killed Duncan in battle. And we should note that this was not a battle against each other. It was perhaps a friendly fire sort of situation. Yeah. And then Macbeth, in turn, is eventually killed by Duncan's son, who is also named Malcolm. Um, but Macbeth didn't have a bad reputation. I mean, this seems like your average, average stuff back then, just killing the king kind of semi-honorably, maybe not so much. Nothing terrible. So where did the bad rep come from? Well, Shakespeare's Macbeth was written sometime in the early 1600s, which is a good 500 years after Macbeth's life. And of course, history loves embellishment over the ages. And Shakespeare used Raphael Hollinshed's Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland, which was published in 1577 as background information. But, you know, he never planned for it to be historically accurate, the play. He wanted to build on that. Yeah, it's a historical drama, not an actual account. So Hollinshed had, of course, built on some earlier versions of the story. And through the centuries, we had all these little bits added in, like the imaginary Banquo and this evil, scary Lady Macbeth. And those were added in the 1400s and the early 1500s. So getting a little closer to the story we know today. Poor Gruach. And yeah, there was no real-life counterpart for Banquo. And that's a little bit of a big deal because... If you remember how the witches in the play promise him this line of kings, he was supposedly um, the, the start of the Stuart line. And think of who's king when Shakespeare's putting on this play. Well, exactly. And that may be part of the reason that he's turned into such an innocent character in Shakespeare's play, which he wasn't in earlier versions. We trying make to it impress James, flattery. the Stuart king. Flattery is good. So according to the legend... The very first performance of the play Macbeth in 1606 had the actor playing Lady Macbeth, who was a boy, falling ill and dying 
right before the start of a mysterious fever. And perhaps Shakespeare took over the role for him and was really terrible in it and therefore didn't want to hear the play's name again. I mean, if you're awful, you walk on stage, it's like, don't say that name to me. <laughs> Embarrassing performance. Uh, there's another theory, though, and that's that the witches' incantations were real and they were real chance that Shakespeare had lifted. And so they cursed the play forevermore. But why would Shakespeare have done something like that? King James had authored a book on demonology, which was one of his chief interests. And as we mentioned, of course, William Shakespeare wanted his favor. But the story goes that James hated the play and possibly banned it from being performed. So that brings us to the stories of the curse. And we have to preface this by saying, We're not saying that any of these stories are true, because only a few of them can be corroborated. We'll try to point out some of the ones that can be. That we we think are true, yes. Um, But these are the stories that so many of you sent us, and the ones that you'll see most frequently mentioned about the curse. So remember, these are not all real. We're just telling you what people say. This is is a podcast about the curse. Exactly. So. So here goes the hearsay. All right. We're going to start in the 17th century. In one performance, the actor playing Macbeth supposedly used a real knife instead of a stage prop and killed the actor playing Duncan in front of a live audience. During the 18th century, at the opening day of a performance in London, it also marked the day of one of the worst storms ever to hit the city. All right. This next one is one of my favorites. In another performance, we have an aristocrat walking across the stage. We should mention that sometimes the very best people would get to sit on the side of the stage. So he just walks across the stage in the middle of the play it's to like go answering your cell phones today. <laughs> it's, it's probably worse than that, but going to talk to his friend. The actors got very angry and ran him out. So he came back with a posse of friends and burned the whole place down. In 1775, famed British actress Sarah Siddons, who was most famous for her portrayal of the Lady Macbeth, was almost attacked by an audience member. So such is the power of theater. Moving on to the 19th century. This is a pretty good one, too. Oh, this one's my very favorite. Can I steal this one from you? Okay. (laughs) So we're in the mid-1800s, and there are two actors who hate each other. One is English, William McCready, and one is American, Edwin Forrest. And Forrest is said to have started this whole feud by being a very rude audience member at a McCready performance in London. So they both staged different productions of Macbeth at the same time in New York City. And supporters of Forrest threw stuff at McCready while he was on stage in his performance, which... I mean, it sounds like a cartoon, like throwing tomatoes at someone. So then there was a riot known as the Astor Place Riot, and the militia came and shot just at the crowd. More than 20 people died, and anywhere between 30 and 100 people were injured. It depends on what you're reading, which is absolutely insane. Well, maybe double the productions, double the curse, too. So moving on to a very famous incident involving the curse. One week in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was reading from his favorite play, reading his favorite passage about Duncan's assassination. The next week, he was assassinated. Guess what play he was at? Macbeth. And in another incident in the 19th century, an actor accidentally seriously injured another one 
with a sword. And in the 1920s, Lionel Barrymore's performance as Macbeth was reviewed so scathingly that he never got on a Broadway stage again. So we're ruining careers now as well as accidentally or purposely stabbing people. Yeah, we have a few more of those stage accidents, though. Uh, the British actress Sybil Thorndike was almost strangled by an actor, which that seems like it would be hard to do. Accidentally almost strangle someone? Maybe not accidentally. <laughs> Maybe she's just a really good actress. And then at a London staging, a set collapsed and hit the cast and there was also a fire. In the 1930s, one actress playing Lady Macbeth died right before the last dress rehearsal. And supposedly during a 1934 production, an actor went mute on stage and the guy who took over for him got a fever and went to the hospital. Or depending on which story you read, the one actor went mute from a fever and had to be hospitalized. Again, there's... Eh, you know, <laughs> depending on what you read, it's going to find something different. in these curse rumors. All right. In 1936, Orson Welles put on an all-black production in Harlem, and there was a Haitian witch doctor who had a role in the play. And when one of the critics panned the production, he and the drummers... He being the witch doctor. The witch yeah. doctor and some of the drummers in the play cursed the critic, like really cursed him. And... He died of pneumonia, so, uh-oh. Also in the 1930s, Laurence Olivier was almost crushed by a stage weight and in a car accident on separate occasions, and the proprietor of the theater had a fatal heart attack on opening night, and her dog died on the same day. Or, again, depending on what you read, the proprietor died during a dress rehearsal, and it was an actress who was in the car accident. Then in the 1940s, there was a very unlucky staging in 1942 when two of the witches and Duncan died and the set designer killed himself. And this is a this is a likely one. In 1947 in England, one Macbeth, Harold Norman, was accidentally stabbed with a sword during the end fight scene and died. And the kicker is that right before he'd said he didn't believe in the curse and his ghost haunts the theater. And then this is a pretty good one, too. One actress, Diana Winyard, walked off the stage while sleepwalking as Lady Macbeth in 1948. I mean, she wasn't just squinting her eyes, kind of fake closing she had them. them shut. She had them shut and walked off the stage right into the orchestra pit, which was like a 15-foot drop or something. She must have not been too cursed, though, because she got right up from the fall. The show must go on, Sarah. In the 1950s, during a Bermuda staging, supposedly, during an attack scene, these flames were blown into the audience near the castle attack. And Charlton Heston, who was playing Macbeth, was severely burned. And Olivier, in another production, almost blinded another actor. So we're thinking... <laughs> I'm thinking, like, maybe that was his last maybe Macbeth. Maybe take a like, new role. Um, the 60s? Skip. The curse skips the 60s. So They were busy yeah. during the 60s. And then in the 1970s, there's an actor strike and fires and multiple robberies. In Polanski's 1971 film, a camera operator was almost killed. And then finally, we get to the 1980s. Where in 1988, in one production, there were 26 cases of flu, lots of injuries, lots of directors, lots of actors, and lots of stage managers. That doesn't sound... Like a curse so much to me. It's just a A bad, terribly run production. Yes. But we've got some possible explanations, of course, for this. Yeah. For this high rate of accidents and trouble, 
with Macbeth. One thing, there are a lot of fight scenes, and that equals a lot of chances for injury. You notice most of what we read here is uh, people getting stabbed accidentally or walking off the stage accidentally, being injured in something action-packed and dramatic. And there are lots of dark scenes, of course. And this is also a popular play, and it's a short play. So it's been considered a good choice for failing companies to put on. And then, of course, it's not the play's fault that a company fails. It already was. The play just perhaps sounded the death knell. But still, that ties into the whole curse thing. And all plays have things go wrong. We just concentrate on Macbeth because supposedly there is a curse. And since it is such an old play, we've got centuries and centuries of time for all of these things to happen. I mean, perhaps we'll have uh, a new one for Ibsen, say, in in a few <laughs> centuries. But it's confirmation bias because you start looking for all the things that, that back up your belief instead of paying any attention to all the things that don't. And, you know, surely there's another terrible storm that's taken place at the at the beginning of a production or an actor dies during a play. Those things aren't entirely unusual. Yeah, in college I actually did a project on theaters in 19th century London. And I mean, the accidents were insane. If if you go back and look at the London Times archives, there's just every terrible thing that could possibly happen to you would happen during these stage productions, like fancy ones too, terrible falls and knife fights and swords and falling through the trap door, all it, sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't think that there's a Macbeth curse, Sarah. Well, I'm not going to say that because... <laughs> you don't want to herald Norman it? Well, yeah, the guy who says he doesn't believe in the curse. I mean, I don't know if this curse extends to podcasts, but I don't I don't want to be we're too not, bold about it. We're more in a studio than a theater, so I'm, you never I'm know. hoping I mean, we're okay. Notice our list of, of curses stops in 1988. We don't know what's been going on for like the past 20 years, and if maybe the curse has jumped to new media. Is it a time for revival, perhaps? <laughs> I, I certainly know. hope not. We do have some tips, though, uh, if you happen to say the play's name in a theater, and we might do it now that we're done in this podcast. Just in case. Uh, the tradition is that if you say Macbeth in a theater, you leave the room, you spin three times over your right shoulder, you spit, and then you knock on the door and ask to come back in. So if there are any theater people listening who have a Macbeth tale to tell, please email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And that brings us to our listener mail for today. Brian from Brooklyn sent us what's supposed to be a concert poster. We have copies for both of us uh, to hang in our cubes, but it says SYMHC Presents, and these are all bands, and they're all things that were brought from our podcast, so it's <laughs> it's not obscene for the first one. Um, the Penis Thieves, Matahari and the Sinister Salamés, The Murdered Medicis, with a special appearance by King Ludwig II at the Lamberdowdy Amphitheater. It's $10, and no Darnleys will be allowed to enter. Strictly enforced. And it would be strictly enforced yeah. if I had my way. So again, you can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. We've also got a Twitter page at Mist in History, and we have a Facebook fan page, which is a really good way for us to keep up with you on a, on a day-to-day basis and respond to stuff, because it takes us a little bit when it comes to email. 
And if you're looking for more on Shakespeare and Shakespearean manuscripts and theater history, you can try searching our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 